Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Buying off the plan. We've talked about it before. But other times when we've talked about it, the economy has been in a very different situation. Today on the podcast, John Pigeon and I, we're going to chat about buying off the plan. We haven't for a little while. We're going to read a bit of a wild story that I dug up on Reddit and we'll have some fun in between. If you're new to the podcast, welcome, strap in, hold on, you're in good hands. This is a podcast to help you, to encourage you with your life, your career, your money, your business, your property, all the things. We just jump on every week and have a bit of a chat with our My Millennial Money community. If you want to be involved more, you can jump onto the Facebook group, search My Millennial Money in Facebook and you'll see the group pop up. We're also on Instagram and anywhere else good books are sold. I'm used to saying that, John, because uh, we're in book launch mode. You're an author. Now, John, you ready to have a chat about all this good stuff today? Yes, I am. Let's get it on, people. John Pigeon, my millennial property, we're having a bit of a chat today. Uh, I saw a post on Reddit about an off-the-plan story. Yes. Now, I had a quick squiz of that this morning, Glenn. You've done off-the-plan before. I've done off-the-plan before. What what are we thinking? Well, look, we know with buying off-the-plan, it's primarily, when people say that, it's primarily apartment blocks, right? Like technically, if you're building in an estate to live in, yeah, sure, you are buying off the plan to some extent. But I think for most of the time, when you hear buying off the plan, uh, we are talking and the industry is talking to uh, high-rise apartments. Now, I did buy an off the plan. I think I put the deposit down, signed the contract in 2018 and ended up getting the keys in 2021. Um I was fortunate enough to get a good deal and the market did also move during that time. But John, I want to read this comment here and you know, Reddit's always handy for the lols and the goods, but I just wanted to talk about this one. Bought an off-the-plan house with a partner, broke up six months later. What can I do to protect myself? I bought a house off the plan with my partner in late 21. The house is expected to be finished early 24, but we broke up about a month ago. For context, we paid a 70K deposit on an $800,000 property, but I was overseas, so they paid the deposit entirely. I asked for their bank details to transfer half, but I was never given them. Gosh. We broke up mutually as we drifted apart, but the house conversation has become a dicey Obviously, I'm intending to pay back my half of the deposit, but my ex-partner came forward straight up as we broke up and said they don't want the house at all and I have to take it as they don't want to hang onto it and sell it. And I don't want to back out of the contract. 
Essentially, the predicament is that I'm being pressured into taking on the whole property and finding someone to nominate for their half or to take the entire property with them sitting back and wanting me to do it and pay them all the entire deposit, 70K to them immediately. Um, It went on. I mean, do you want to have any uh, motherhood comments on this, John? Okay, so usually in situations like this, uh, purchase price eight hundred, you would pay maybe a five percent, but normally a ten percent deposit uh, at the start. You sign a contract, you commit to that contract. You can't get finance approval because it's too far into the distance to val to to put to give a valuation. The banks aren't comfortable doing that, so you're sticking your neck out saying, "I'm committing to something." knowing or hoping that in two years' time or whenever it's complete that they'll be able to transact and actually get funding from someone to purchase this property. That's the risk we take with off-the-plan apartments. What we don't factor in is doing a joint venture where the other person emotionally involved with decides, no, I no longer want to be with you and I don't want to be with your property. So times change, people change. Two years is a long time in sport, as they say. Now, I would go back a step and say, well, who was the solicitor? Who have you spoken to? What agreement have you got drawn up? What contract did you sign between each other? Now, it, it, I'm going to take a guess here to say nothing was drawn up other than a contract signed. So, it basically, your word against mine, you're both on that contract, I would imagine, and you're both need to pay the 50% of the deposit. Um, The options are half, no, I wouldn't be getting someone else to come in and take your partner's place. Um, And you probably haven't got the dollars to be able to buy your ex-partner out. So that leaves us in a pickle, Glenn. Yeah, so in terms of removing the emotion the black and white is if two people are on the contract, it doesn't matter if one person paid half the deposit and uh, the other person paid half or one person paid the full amount. Like in terms of the law and particularly the developer who uh, are selling the property, they don't give a crap. We've sold this property. We've gone into a contract with two people who are on the, the name of, who are on the title of the contract. So I think the only way forward is, you know, they say it's a house, but the house isn't expected to be finished till early 24. Like that's in another year. It might actually be an apartment, John, this one, because usually there wouldn't be that long a delay for um, house and land stuff. I wouldn't imagine like from 21 to 24. There there could be, but usually... In, in a lot of cases, the the developer and the builder are two separate companies, mm. whereas off the plan, that's with house and land. Yes. Whereas with apartments, it's all one. Yeah. Majority of that time, or it's the developer that's running the show. So what I'm doing in this situation is going to the partner and saying, hey, we're both on this contract. I'll give you the $35,000, my half. When it completes, we sell it and then split any profit and walk away. I honestly don't think you'll be able to get out of this. Now, this is the the red flags for those who are wanting to do off the plan stuff. And we'll talk about economic cycles and markets in a minute. But ordinarily, for me, when I did my off the plan, I generally knew that 
over the next few years, my situation was going to be pretty stable. Now, you don't want to enter into an off-the-plan purchase if your situation might change between signing the contract and settling on the property. If you are on a higher income, in two years' time, your income has dropped or you started your own business, you might not be able to get the money. I know someone in Queensland who who bought an off-the-plan property once they got out of a relationship, have since met someone else, um, don't want to do the property, wants to get out of it, all that stuff, but they can't. And that person doesn't have um, the same employment situation now. So the only option that person has is, you know, the builders. So basically, if you have a, a an off-the-plan apartment, for example, and they're still selling them, there's clauses in contracts where you can't advertise it publicly. Now, it, depending on what the developer how lenient they are, how um, popular it is, the developer might say, sure, you can find another buyer for it and then when it settles, you can do a simultaneous settlement. That's all well and good, but they won't let you advertise that while it's under construction and they're still selling. Yeah. The first thing I'd be doing is checking what comparable sales are in the area. Now, if there's been development blocks completed, um, that are similar to yours, what is like for like, if it's two bed, 80 squares internal, fourth floor, what is it sold for? What are the vals been in that particular area? Just to get an idea of, well, I paid 800. Is it worth 800? Is it now worth 850? Is it now worth 750? There's a whole range of, of variables in that situation because that time frame's so great. From a finance point of view, you've really got a, it's a two-year pre-approval period, isn't it? Where you're mm-hmm. saying, well, I can borrow this amount now, but if my situation changes, I, my pre-approval is null and void. If I go and get myself a personal loan or a car loan or another mortgage or I take a lower income or I change jobs or change industries, I've got to start from scratch again and get that new finance approval. Whereas a, as a, and that's the risk, obviously, is off-the-plan apartments. Whereas a house in land, for example, you're getting approval up front. You've got guarantee that you actually have the funding to be able to complete that project. Yeah, and then they draw down the finance uh, through different stages. So that's why I think when they say bought a house, it, it just it screams to me that it might be an apartment, but all yeah. good. It did but, come from Reddit. Yeah, that's right. But who knows? Like these are just it's just a cautionary tale with signing contracts for things that will execute years in the future. You really want to make sure your ducks are in order. So all that aside, if we go, you know, we've done episodes about off the plan before, Johnson. If we go to the climate now, the cost of building and construction has increased. Interest rates are increasing. There's talk all over the media and CoreLogic and we've seen data that property prices are cooling down. Are we a little bit more gun shy in these types of climates committing to off the plans for something that might execute in a couple of years? And the reason I say that is, as you mentioned before, you sign the contract, you give a deposit. There's no point talking to a mortgage broker or lender until the construction company, particularly with apartments, they say, okay, 
we're settling in three months, get your money organized. Now, interest rates have increased. You might not be able to service a loan anymore on paper. You might not be able to get the money or you might have to put more money into the deal. So you've got a financing issue, not to mention what is the market doing with the property price. Yeah, and it sounds as though said person can't afford to actually stump up the the extra 35 and buy this person out that they they haven't got a lot of buffers up their sleeve to begin with. So they're not going to maybe be able to even hold the mortgage on their own like they might have planned. Like I just did some quick numbers, 700K loan at say worst or best case 5% is roughly four grand a month. That would have been two grand a month per person. Now it's four grand on your own versus way back when, when they committed, interest rates might've been 2%. That's two six a month. So there's a $1,400 difference without the separation. So mm. there's a big uh, change in finances, isn't it? So we're, we're definitely more cautious, no doubt about that. But I think we're, we're always cautious when we're designing a strategy to purchase property. We're, we're always got eyes wide open. We're always looking what's in my control and what's out of my control and market factors and and interest rates and vacancy rates and all these things are absolutely out of our control, but we should be factoring them in. We shouldn't be guaranteeing 5% growth per year. We shouldn't be guaranteeing one week's vacancy per year because we just don't know. Mm. So understanding what those variables are and forecasting. And before we move on uh, from this off the plan discussion, you've got to remember Once you sign a contract, particularly in New South Wales, I can't speak for every other state and territory, in New South Wales, you sign that contract, you got three months to pay stamp duty, Mm. you know, if you're not a first home buyer or you don't have any exemptions. And it's not as easy as just swapping someone out on the contract because even if the developer did allow it, there's going to be a, um, a sale event. So there's going to be another stamp duty thing. So these type of situations... It's like they've got a kid, but the kid can be out of both of their life when it settles in 2024. And it's much like mm. there's a lot of people who are separated and have kids. Like you never really separated from that person if there's kids involved. Uh, so, yeah, it's just a, a big be careful. Yeah, and we've we've definitely painted a, a bit of a gloomy situation, mm. but it, it's not – it's not always that case. And you've mentioned that, that you had a great result with yours and, and there's, there is some great outcomes. It's just doing your homework and, and doing your proper due diligence uh, before you get into these things. Yeah, absolutely. There's a question here from Harrison Scott, pros and cons of refinancing every 12 months. So we're talking a basic home loan with no offset. So a legitimate vanilla mortgage where they'll take X amount a month out of a bank account, no bells or whistles. Harrison's talking about a cash back offer of three to $4,000, potentially a better interest rate. Uh, the cons being paperwork and Harrison said, am I missing anything? What's your take on this one? Yeah, you've got to be out there fishing. Um, if you lay dormant for a couple of months, you you notice a, a bit of a shock on the statement when you see what that interest rate might have done because uh, those those rates have, are definitely getting passed on and not, not missing anyone. So I, I'd be up for the challenge of of submitting applications, not not over over submitting. Um, obviously, a good mortgage broker in the corner can shortlist the best option for you and putting in one application. But 
one one application every six months uh, will, will, uh, can pay definite dividends, and uh, and I only witnessed this this week, and I've got my mortgage broker onto onto at the moment. I'm like I'm looking at an investment loan, saying, "Hell no, that's way too high. We need to be uh, addressing that." So, yeah, we definitely need to stay onto it, and and in any times really, we should be checking in. Absolute worst case every twelve months, but in these sort of times, definitely every six months. So are you actually saying every six months look to refinance your mortgage? No, no. I'm just saying do a health check on your mortgages every six months. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I think it's there's pros and cons for everyone. You know, cashback offers, they're not going to be around with every bank or lender. Better interest rate. Well, if I can get a better interest rate from my current lender, I'm not dicking around with all the paperwork and all the drama. The only other thing you need to watch um, – which isn't, you know, I don't think it's the gold standard true north, but your credit um, profile with um, Equifax, Experion, Ilion, the bureaus, you know, your quote unquote credit score and all that crap, that's going to be, um, it's going to have a lot of inquiries on it. So you might get to the point where if there is a refinance every 12 months, you might get to a, you know, a lender and you've got to move for whatever reason and, you can't get finance. That could happen. Yeah, I think from what I'm hearing with mortgage brokers, uh, there. Well, we we should only be having a credit hit on the application that we're going for. We shouldn't be applying for more than one loan at a time. So let's say one every twelve months. And mm. yes, we'll over five years. There's there's five applications, but. The mortgage broker also has the ability to have a conversation with the bank and say, well, this is why this credit hit was was applied because they were looking for a better opportunity. Uh, now, the issue with uh, all these what we call honeymoon periods where there's cashback offers and lower rates, et cetera, is as soon as they've got you into their web, the rates can go back up pretty quickly. So you've just got to understand that it's a it's a honeymoon. It doesn't last forever. Yeah, and and it's different. Like because I'm self employed and I've got a couple of entities, and like it's ac- it's absolutely a pain in the ass for me to um, go to my mortgage broker and apply for a loan or apply for a refinance. Um, it's actually a pain. And uh, you know, earlier in the year, end of last year, I sat on the phone for an hour with both of my lenders and I got a better rate. Now, one other thing you need to uh, chat with your broker about, mortgage brokers are remunerated uh, from the bank or lender. So there's no out-of-pocket cost for you to use a mortgage broker and there's no real difference in interest rate. So for a a Commonwealth Bank ProPAC, for example, direct with CBA, uh, the broker would get the same rates and the same deals. So there's no brainer to use a broker. But they will have clawbacks and it can be up to two years. So if you take out a mortgage, the mortgage broker is paid for doing all the work and putting the application in. If uh, that mortgage is cashed out, refinanced, closed, you know, all that stuff within maybe 18 months to two years, um, they will, what they call a clawback. So the bank will claw back what they've paid that broker and you just need to check with your broker the fine print around that uh, because they are ultimately running a business. And, you know, a lot of brokers will refi and, and do all that. And, 
you know, and take that hit because it all comes out in the wash. But that's just another thing that you need to be uh, cautious of what I would say. But to be honest, a, a basic home loan, another reason why I can't be bothered refinancing every 10 minutes. And, you know, it's been over two years since or probably more. I've had like I use St. George for uh, two properties. Like, gosh, I've been with St. George for maybe six years. Um, the rate's competitive. I've got an offset account. I can't be bothered moving banks. Like all the frigging debits and all that stuff. Just making sure the rates are competitive. Yeah, but in saying that, I, I totally get that. Um, but I believe it is a mindset thing to say, well, what's the reward? And the reward is... Well, the mortgage broker can tell you the reward. Mm. This is how much you could potentially be saving if you go and do this, right? Now, technology has helped us in this process in the sense that the mortgage broker should have an online facility where you just click into and it automatically uploads your bank statement. So mm. that's a massive game changer when it comes to time taken. Yes, you still have to fill out the application, but it should only have to be done once. You know, the biggest trap I've seen over the years, and I kind of shared this story in my first book, Sort Your Money Out, as a cautionary tale. There was a dude that came into my office who was in his 60s wanting to retire and, you know, it was a financial disaster type story. You know, even if you are refinancing every couple of years, it's so tempting to, you know, if the property price has increased, oh, we'll get a little bit more out and, you know, we'll buy a new car or we'll get a little bit more out and, you know, go on a holiday or get a little bit more out and uh, pay off the personal loan and the credit cards and where debt's consolidating along the way. And there are a lot of mortgage brokers that will use debt consolidation as the marketing hook and all that while we can get into an argument of why I don't believe debt consolidation is the answer. Um, it's just a trap where if you are refining every few years and adding debt from crap you've consumed, you've got an overspending problem. And, it, you know, someone's got to be left holding the bag at some point. And the story that I shared in my book, this dude... Um, on the central coast of New South Wales who came come to see me ready to retire. No more refinancing. You know, you're about to retire, but you still got debt. So I think for Harrison, you said it before, John, you've got to be active with your money and what's going on in your life. And particularly because of this climate we're in of high interest rates, um, high inflation, cost of living, you know, we've all been on idle the last few years. Stuff's been cheap but it's time to start really paying attention. Reality's here, doesn't it? Giddy up, baby. Hey, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back and we're going to talk about side hustles, changing super, and we might even talk about credit cards. Ooh, wild, spooky. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Hey, it's now time for the Community Corner of the Week. And guess what? This segment is brought to you by Sky Wealth. You've told us that you want to get your income protection and your death cover and all that sorted. And that's why we're talking about it. You can head to sky.com.au forward slash MMM for a bit of info about how you can have a bit of a chat with the team at Sky to organize your insurance this year. John, we asked, what's your greatest strength at work? Yes, and the overwhelming response was from Kim Chapman, my ability to continually say, no worries, when I have many worries. 101 <laughs> likes. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Victoria Devine, making myself a cup of tea and letting it go cold on my desk because I get distracted. Hey, that's happened with me so much. I now set an alarm when I brew my tea because I was sick of like, oh, forgetting I had my tea three hours later. I like this one. Gavin Manan says, the ability to still be cheerful when everything turns to shit. Charlotte Jane, my ability to work efficiently and effectively organise my time. Yeah, I mean, time management, that's a good one, that. Hmm. Matthew Thomas, understanding how to productively share a devil's advocate view, challenging everything creatively so the end products become more refined. Betsy says, asking questions when I'm not sure. That's a fantastic trait, Betsy. Mm. Jamie Sommer, I absolutely love any sort of pressure or opportunity to perform. At my last job, I started to get the reputation of someone to go to when the job was urgent. Aaron Oxnam says, being future-oriented, it allows me to anticipate needs and foresee potential opportunities and issues. Mm. So there you go, everyone. What is your greatest strength at work? What's your greatest strength at work, John? Who knows? It's definitely not um, attention to detail. I think it would be consistency, just turning up every day. Right. What's yours? Well, my biggest strength is also my biggest um, issue where I can have vision for a project, pull the trigger and take a risk. Um, and that's kind of why and how we got my millennial money to start with. But, you know, doing that to every shiny object uh, can become a weakness really fast. So I think it's, I think a lot of us, you know, our biggest strength is and can be our biggest weakness. Yeah. So Just appreciating it. That's right. Well, we'll bump out of this segmento and we can't do this segment without the team at Sky Wealth. That's sky.com.au forward slash MMM. Please get your insurances sorted. I actually had an email from one of our listeners the other day. Uh, their parent who was under 50 uh, was diagnosed with a terminal illness and life is real and my heart goes out to anyone who is suffering such a, um, a catastrophic 
medical diagnosis. Uh, but there is one thing that you can do, and that is to make sure you are financially protected. So if the worst happens, money isn't a problem. So thanks, Skywealth, for that. Okay, John, do you have any housekeeping that you want to tell everyone? What's going on in your life and business and world? Well, I won't get too much into life, but uh, I've actually got a property investing webinar coming up on the 27th of February. So So next Tuesday night? Next Monday night, yes. Next Monday night, yes, yes. (laughs) So yeah, pretty pumped to be able to get into that. Haven't done an online webinar for a while, done a few in person, but um, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty excited to have a chat. Now you cap that at 500 and it's already full, is that what we're saying? Yeah, so the, the weird concept around this whole Zoom thing is it'll take more registrations, which it already has, right? Uh, but the first 500 get in. So wow, get in early. Yeah. Mm. All right, and we'll put a replay on the My Millennial Money uh, YouTube after that. Um, but obviously, if you watch it in post, you won't be able to ask a question. Correct. Yeah. And we will have some Q&A time at the end, but it is about how to buy your first investment, but we will go a bit deeper than that towards the end as well. So if you're sitting there thinking, well, it's not really for me, I've already got an investment, don't worry. Uh, The back half will definitely be for you. Why don't you just open it up and do one the following night as well? Two nights only. Yeah, why, why wouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't I? I had nothing else to do in my life. Let's do that. Let's put a second night on. All right. We'll get, uh, look, I, know, I love making work for you, but why wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, you've capped out at 500. We'll put an announcement up. We're doing Tuesday night as well. Mm. And we'll leave that drama for um, Catherine and your team to <laughs> organize. Sure. And the last bit of housekeeping before we move on, uh, thanks for those who have purchased the Sort Your Career Out book. Hey, if you have done that, and you have read it already. I've already started to get some anecdotal testimonies. Uh, people that I know have text me. Uh, if you can please leave a review online on Amazon or Goodreads, if you have read it and it has been of value, uh, we would appreciate that as well because we want to continue to get the word out. All right, let's talk about credit cards. Dear Lord, do you want to read that question from Chanel? Chanel says, can you travel overseas successfully with just your debit card or is a credit the way to go? I have concerns with debit that it won't be accepted at all retailers and that a hold will be put on funds when paying for hotels. I'm going to Japan. I will look into travel cards. I've applied for a credit card. The application got denied. My salary is about 85K plus I have rental income. I've paid extra on those properties to the point where there's only $20 remaining on each or 20K, one of the two. The funds are available for redraw though, so they have to consider the expense if I was paying payments. I do have rent at the moment too while I'm building a new home debt free. Should I try again for a different credit card or go the travel card option and miss out on the sign up points, travel insurance, etc.? Thanks. Wow. What are you doing? Well, the application got denied. Uh, it's not It's not a good start, is it? I probably wouldn't be applying again. Would you? Look, I don't know, but I do know one thing. Back to her first question. Can you travel overseas successful with just your debit card? The answer is yes. Um, do we do things just for the points and just for the travel insurance? The answer is no. Um you know, you unless you talk to Steve Hill from iFly, yeah. Or something. Unless you, <laughs> unless you, get, unless you're talking to a points uh, zealot. Look, 
if you want travel insurance, go and buy it. That's easy. Um, look, I'll, I'll tell you my experience with this. When I've traveled, and I haven't done that much travel, like I'm talking Indonesia, New Zealand, um, I did Israel, uh, America, did the Caribbean. I've 42 done countries of yeah. the world. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a bit of travel, what can I say? Um, but what I would say is what I did for most of my time, I was just using my Visa debit card, right? I've got my little up card happening. And particularly in the States, I used my Apple Pay. And actually, John, when we were in the States uh, with my team in September last year, my up card on Apple Pay got declined everywhere. But Rach and Nath, they've got up as well. Theirs was working everywhere. Now, what it was in this Apple Pay settings, you can select Visa or like FPOST, like um, just a normal savings account. And I had changed it to just the FPOS. So when it would tap out of the savings uh, account, because I didn't want to pay the 0.5% fee at Service New South Wales one day. Right. <laughs> so, so I had to log in and change it. So it was using the visa debit. So yeah. visa debit is fine overseas. Now, if you're traveling lots around the world, there is a higher chance that your card might be skimmed. Um, that's just the fact because you might be in a less stable place and there could be more dickery going on. Now, when it comes to hotels, I would just have more money in my debit card. So when I would log into a hotel or hire a car, they would put a hold on a bit of money. So you, you had to have a bit of cash there for that holding, right? Now, what did it for me was last February when I was in the States, I had a hire car went into a car park, didn't have a credit card. I could not pay at the booth with a Visa debit card. Just straight up, and it happened twice in two different applications, the Visa debit card, for whatever reason, did not work. So when I went back to the States last year, particularly with the team, I got a Amex, Qantas Amex, because... There was no way in the world that I wanted to be, you know, with my whole team and, you know, having to pay for things, particularly like $8,000 worth of hotel stuff and my debit card not working. So it can be done. I don't care what anyone does. If they want to get a credit card just for travel, maybe just get a $2,000 one. The thing you just got to watch out for is that you don't overspend. Simple as that. Otherwise, what you might do is set up a separate um, visa debit account or card that you just use while overseas and manage that in terms of if it gets swiped or anything like that. But there'll be heaps of comments in the Facebook group uh, around credit cards and travel. But you've just got to, like I, I would still, when I was in the States uh, with a team, I would still use my, like my up visa debit everywhere. And even um, when I went to New Zealand and whatnot, but... I just, just in case I had that um, credit card there. Would you uh, pay for your flights using the card for points? Well, I mean, if you're getting the credit card and one of your rationales is for the travel insurance, you would have to pay for your flights anyway, because I think to activate the 
travel insurance, you've got to pay for the flights on that card. Yeah. But let's be honest, like if you pay $2,000 worth of flights, 2,000 points, even if you got a point per dollar, like 2,000 points ain't moving the needle that much. No. So I think it'd just be more out of convenience, to be honest. Rebecca asks, side hustles and ABNs, do you take one out? I'm a sole trader, so I already have one, but a side hustle? I wonder how many just do cashies. We, we don't need to camp here too long. Effectively, each individual person only needs one ABN. So each entity that you trade in in Australia has an ABN. So the company that produces the podcast, Simo Interactive, that has an ABN. Glenn James, the individual person, I don't have an active ABN myself because I don't individually contract, so I don't need one. But effectively, if Rebecca had her own ABN and, you know, she did, I don't know, I saw something online the other day, someone was doing gift packs and corporate gifts as their side hustle business. If that was their primary source of self-employed income, doing corporate gift packs, and they use that ABN, if you went and mowed lawns uh, as a side hustle, you could use that same ABN because everything is just a funnel and would sit on your same tax return, the same as your tax file number. So yeah, when it comes to your personal ABN, it's effectively you or your tax file number, but it's uh, for business purposes for any um, trading. And a lot of um, a lot of lenders now, they used to divide sole traders from um, from ABNs uh, and and company tax returns, but now it's pretty much the same in respect to lending. Yeah, right. So yeah, so that's that's all I'd say. You don't need to take out another ABN if you are doing a side hustle. And she says, I do wonder how many do cashies. Well, many. I'd imagine many people do cashies, <laughs> but that's the whole thing. Like, if if you were running a business and only doing cashies, like there's a fish and chip shop like 15 minutes from my house. They only take cash. Mm. It's like they've got an ATM inside the fish and chip shop, but it's just like if you're trying to just do tax evasion, it's going to catch up with you one day. Like you're going to have to go for a loan or something like that and you won't have enough income. The amount of time that it takes to reconcile cash and you're, you know, it's just not going to end well. No. And you've got the tendency to spend it more, haven't you? Yeah. And you're breaking the law. So yeah, (laughs) like there's that. (laughs) Yeah. John, there was an article, um, In the SMH, CBA defends saving rates as ACCC launches bank deposit inquiry. And I'll read the first couple of paragraphs. This is by Clancy Yeats. Um, Commonwealth Bank Chief Executive Matt Common has defended the banking giant's deposit account interest rates, highlighting increases in certain products after Treasurer Jim Chalmers offered an inquiry into the rates that all banks pay savers. The Australian Competitive and Consumer Commission, ACCC, formally launched an inquiry into how banks set deposit rates last Wednesday. It said as the Reserve Bank had raised official interest rates since May last year, increases in saving rates had typically been smaller and less consistent than increases in lending rates. So what we're seeing, John, every 10 minutes when there's an interest rate increase, the next day the bank's coming out and saying, yeah, it's a 0.25% increase on the mortgage because the rates went up. 
but no one is getting the notifications to say, instead of us paying 2% on your savings, it's now 2.25%. And to be honest, that's not new information really. It's been happening since I was a kid anyway. Um, it's always been that way. They're in control of that, determining how much uh, their profits are. And CBA's profit during the week um, was an illustration of that, wasn't it? So all that to say, if you have been outraged or worried or whatnot about your interest rates not increasing, um, at least the ACCC are doing a bit of an investigation because their whole thing is they just want to see um, how banks and lenders, what logic they are using with uh, deposit rates because it's just wild because how banks actually make money, particularly a lot of the, the larger banks, they, they take what they call a spread. So they effectively uh, borrow money or from people, which is your savings is in a bank account, they'll borrow that from you. So they'll give you, you know, 3% interest rate. And at the back door, they'll be putting that money into a mortgage, charging 5%, getting that 2% spread. So that profit margin or spread is just clearly on wild over the last nine rate increases because we haven't seen nine consecutive rate increases on savings rates. No. And, and the gap will continue to widen. The question is, what does the ACCC investigation actually find? And it's like, a, okay, slap on the wrist, get on with your business sort of thing. Yeah, I'm sure nothing will actually happen as usual. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, it's out there and it's real and you're not crazy for not seeing your yeah, interest rates go up. But you know, like, if you do have a mortgage, the best savings return that you can get would be having your money in an offset account because effectively if you had $10,000 of savings in your offset account and you had a $500,000 mortgage, you'd only be charged on $490,000 of interest, which effectively means because you're not getting charged interest on that $10,000, it's interest saved is interest earned and it's tax-free, baby. Yeah, and it means essentially on your own mortgage, you're paying more off the principal. Yeah. Now, Crystal Z, this is a kind of a question flowing on from that. She said, hi, I recently changed my super. Why the rolling amount is much less than the roll out amount? It's nearly a 3% loss during the super rollover, like fees occur during the rollover. So do you know much about super rollovers, John? No, that's your domain for sure. (laughs) So effectively, like we talked about with that spread on savings rates and mortgage interest rates, each ETF and managed fund, and most people's super is in a unitized managed fund or a a unitized fund, those units, so one unit might cost a dollar, all right? So if you had a hundred dollars in your super fund, you'd have a hundred units of the fund. Now, there's a thing called a buy-sell spread. And this, I don't know the exact answer to you, Crystal, but I thought we'd talk about this. When you buy units in a fund, there is brokerage effectively for each unit. So it's called the buy-sell spread. You can look at the PDS and you can see the buy-sell spread. It could be 0.1 of a percent, could be 0.2%, whatever that is. So when you transact the unitized managed fund, ETF, there is a buy-sell spread. So when you buy, there's a small fee, there's a when you sell, there's a small fee. So that could be one of the reasons that it's slightly different. The other reason it could be different, 
and just seriously jump on the phone. They'll be able to tell you, um, jump on the phone to the old fund because basically what used to happen, if you would roll out $50,000 of super to the new fund, your old fund, they used to write a bank check basically to send to the new fund. It's all electronic now. And there used to be a statement that would accompany that um, check, bank check for $50,000. And that statement would say, of the $50,000 benefit, $30,000 is in the taxable portion, uh, $20,000 is in the non-taxable portion. So it would just break down the different components. So what might have happened is when the money has left your super account, for example, there may have been some type of lag with the unit price. So they've said, we've taken it out on the 30th of the month. When they've given, when you see that on your statement, it could be less than the amount that actually went over because the unit price hadn't effectively uh, been updated. Could have been something like that, probably unlikely. I think it might be a buy-sell spread. It could be a combination of everything because, you know, 3%, that's a huge buy-sell spread. It also could be um, before they've actually rolled out the money completely, there's been a, um, a tax portion for contributions tax because different funds may withhold and pay contributions tax at different times. Uh, fund I was in once used to debit the 15% tax every time a contribution was made. Other funds do it quarterly. I mean, there could be a number of reasons why the roll-in amount is less than the roll-out amount. It could also be, and this could be a, an outlier, we'll say that you've rolled $50,000 over. The $50,000 has landed in the new super account. So it's left it. There's been the quote unquote bank check or the electronic transfer over to the new super fund of $50,000. That day, the money has gone into the account. There has been a 3% drop in the portfolio. So at the end of the day, that unit price has been updated. So it could be from market movements as well. Um, but there would absolutely be a portion of the buy-sell spread of the exiting fund and the incoming fund. Could be some tax held. It could be a unit price issue. At the end of the day, Crystal, I don't think there's any malice here. You're not getting screwed. Uh, but certainly call both funds, ask them they'll be able to explain it. Uh, but effectively, another question people ask, John, is is now a good time to um, move my super if markets are down? It's the same thing when people say to you, John, oh, the property market's crap. Is it worth buying and selling a house in this time? Well, you're selling in a down market, you're buying in a down market. You're selling in a hot market, you're buying in a hot market. So there will be some kind of settlement there or parity. Unless you're buying something that you think is going to be a far better performer, but you can't guarantee that either. Yeah. And that could be, you know, as I said, like the swings in the portfolio, um, you might've been in a very conservative option on the old fund, the new fund you put into very high risk. Just so happened that the day the money went in, um, the portfolio shat its pants and is down 3% for the day. Unlikely given that most super funds will have an unlisted property portion, will have some defensive stuff, but um, yeah, you know, the thing I like about this, John, is Crystal is paying attention. And that's all we yes. can ask of people to do with their own money and their super. Just pay attention. Well, we might leave it there. We've had a bit of a yarn. It's been a good diverse range of topics today, Glenn. Yeah, it's been a good chat. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember, if you like the show and you listen on Spotify, give us a little five-star. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, give us a little five-star. 
uh, review. It helps get the word out there. If you are newish to our world, we've got some other podcasts. John hosts a podcast called My Millennial Property. They just talk about property. We've got a podcast called My Millennial Investor and our host, Nick, just talks all about investing in shares. He did an episode the other day on options. He did one on the semiconductor industry. So you can look at My Millennial Investor. If you're into improving your career, being dialed in with making more money with your career, Shell hosts the podcast called My Millennial Career. If you think this podcast sucks, you're probably right. So go and have a listen to My Millennial Money Professional. Dev, he's a doctor in Melbourne. He does a money podcast just talking to other professionals and he really uh, puts a lot of time into his podcasts and preparing the content. So, When you're saying we don't? Oh, we put a little bit of time in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And otherwise, if you want short form daily podcasts, My Millennial Daily, that's over on Spotify. It's exclusive to Spotify. There's no cost to listen to that. So anyway, if you are interested in all our other podcasts, we've got a lot of options for you. The Spotify Daily one, it's a good little thing. We're having lots of fun. And yeah, thanks for listening and for your support, everyone. We'll be back next week, same place, same time, all that stuff. See you guys soon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. So we haven't done an after party for a little bit, um, Johnson. I put it up in the Facebook group. Does anyone have any critical topics and issues that we can discuss today? Look, there's some wild stuff in here. Stephanie said, what do you think of the new animated Barney? What the hell is the animated Barney? Never heard of it. I'm just, I'm just Googling. Oh, yeah, it's just an Im- image of Barney. What I think about it, I don't know. Move on. Next question. Daniel said, don't let your kids talk you into getting rabbits. So what pets do you have? You just got that dog that bloody barked through half our recording today, John. <laughs> I know you're, I know your love for pets, Glenn. Yes, Harry, the Grudel. Just yeah. he's my buddy. He stays with me all day. Yeah. Yeah. Will you ever get a pet? Uh, yeah, I, I want a Cavoodle one day, but it's just... Mm. It's really hard when you like travel a lot and, you know, like I'm in Brisbane all next week. What are you doing in Brizzy? Just recording podcasts, catching up with people. Actually, next Tuesday episode, I'll probably do with someone up there so your services won't be required. (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah, well, you still get bloody paid, won't you? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll do that now in the diary. Actually, next Tuesday. I've already deleted it. I've already deleted (laughs) it.
I'm podcasting with Emily all day Thursday, so that'll be good. Oh, perfect then. Donna said, can you please talk about digital photo organisation? Her iPhone is chockers. Yeah, same. What do you do? I put it in the cloud and delete the rubbish, but it's getting boring. I have maxed out iCloud and I don't like Dropbox much. No, she's not saying that. I'm just making that up. Look, the one thing to do, this is what I do, my iCloud, I just pay... You get to this point where you throw money at problems and the problems go away, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like I've got a two terabyte iCloud backup and it is, how much is it? Um, I think I see like $14 a month or something like that. But can't you just buy a like- Yeah, $14.99 a month iCloud backup. But why why wouldn't you just buy a two terabyte hard drive? Well, then it's not in the cloud. But why does it need to be in the cloud? For backup. But you can put it on a terabyte, uh, a hard drive. Like yeah, a, you can. Yeah. And then, and then you don't have the ongoing subscription issue. Yeah, but what happens if that hard drive or flash drive gets corrupt? Yeah, what happens if everything in OneDrive goes to shite? It's not going to. <laughs> Apple redundancy, mate. So yeah, that, right. and because I've had that same problem. Mm. Um, so that's why I'm just like, ah, oh, stuff this, $15 a month, whatever, two terabyte. I've only used um, 192 gigabyte. Like, yeah. But that's you how can... they get you. You know, you'll, you get trapped in your little system. Yeah, you do. You can put an SD card in your phone. Not this one, bro. No. Are you going to get an iPhone yet? No way, mate. Why would I? And there's all these issues. Well, there's not, they're not issues, they're opportunities. Um, just corner you into an entrapment of technology. Tian McCready, how shat dating app burnout is. What do you do with your dating app burnout, John? <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had too many knocks on the door. Did you get anything for Valentine's Day? Nah. <laughs> what did you do? Nothing. Didn't even acknowledge it. My really? uh, my son, no, he won't like me saying this. He gave a present out at school. Oh, that's cute. God bless him. Did you give Amy anything? No, we don't acknowledge it. You, we don't need some artificial day to express our love for each other. Right. Lindsay Whitehead said, any good coffee pods? Most I've tried a pretty average tasting. Well, that's the thing. I don't think you can get coffee out of pods. Mm. What about that travel pod that Gleave created? Yeah, Lindsay, go to gleecoffee.com.au and they do the pocket pour and they're little, um, they're better than the pods. I mean, I, I don't know, you probably can add a bit of milk to it, but yeah, I don't, I don't have p- coffee pods. Um, another person, Abinav, said, would you pay to drink a $200 coffee? I saw it in the news about a cafe in Melbourne serving these expensive coffee. To be honest, no, I wouldn't. I think the most I've paid for a coffee, there's a cafe in Surrey Hills in Sydney called Espresso Reformatory and they've got some wild stuff and I really like Panama coffees and they had this like limited edition Panama one. I think it was like $40 and I just wanted to try it. Um, Was it any better? I, I don't know. I don't think I'm refined enough. It was nice. Was it forty dollars nice? Mm. I don't know. Nah. But no, nah, I would kill our beans from that. Yeah, I wouldn't pay friggin' two hundred dollars for coffee. How's this? Speaking of expensive things, 
You know how I was in Melbourne a couple of weeks ago? Actually, go with me, Johnson. You know how like in your car, when you hop in your car, you're like in like your keys there, sunnies are there. Like you've just got your system and your habit of mm. putting stuff. Yeah. Sorry, I hired a car in Melbourne because I had a wedding in um, Red Hill in the Mornington Peninsula and I visited a friend's house and I was down there and I hired one of those MGs. They gave me an MG. Um, Someone in the group was saying that they ordered a new MG and it was scratched a buggery when they picked it up. That's a lesson as well, if I can be neurodivergent for a minute. If you do order a new car, when they deliver it, that's the, the talk for delivering a car, go over it with a fine tooth comb before you accept it. If there's anything wrong with it, say, nope, not taking this one. But anyway, I, um, I, jumped, in, I jumped back in the car and sat on my sunglasses oh. and bent them. First time oh. ever I've wrecked sunnies. So I unbent them back. Now, the problem I've got is because I've got prescription sunglasses, they're bloody expensive. So I emailed the optometrist here in Newey, like the moment almost that it happened, like, oh, I just need to get through. So I bent them back, but the hinge was absolutely rooted, ordered a new pair. Freaking guess how much prescription Ray-Bans are? Like guess. Yeah. Oh, I would say 400. Yeah, that's cute. $640. (laughs) No way. Can you believe it? Not worth it. So I'm just like, oh, I've just wrecked these. So in true Glenn James form, just do a get it sorted, ordered new sunnies. I think my health fund gave me $150. So still expensive. I was so yeah. pissed off that like, mm. and it was this whole thing because I was out of habit. I never put my sunglasses on my seat. Yeah, how'd they get in your seat? Because you're hiring. Yeah, because I'm just, just like loose. different car. They're not in the yeah. center console. Or what, yeah, I, just out of habit. So anyway, went to the optometrist when I got back to pick up the new sunglasses that I ordered. And I said, oh, by the way, can I fix these? She's like, oh, leave it with us. So I, I took my, and leave it with us. She calls me like 10 minutes later. Oh, hey, we can fix them. They'll be ready to pick up tomorrow morning, $116. <laughs> <laughs> I just paid another, what, $500 or something for this new pair. I was so pissed off at myself. But anyway, went today to pick up the quote-unquote replacement pair. And this is like the outrage and, you know, they're running a business and all that. I'm just bringing up my bank transaction. Yeah. hundred Yeah, $117 for the new Sunnies, right? And I said, oh, did you just replace the new arms? Did you? Like, why is it so cheap? She goes, oh, no, no, we just, um, the complete new pair of sunglasses, we just put the frame, (laughs) we just put your lenses in these new ones. I'm like, oh, so are you saying the standard pair of Ray-Bans are only $116.50 or whatever? She's like, no, no, we're giving you a 50% discount. They're usually about $235. Oh. So all that to say, the freaking markup, the markup on sunglasses, they've yeah. just cut 50% That's off. Like, wow. and they're still making money on it. So anyway, I've got two pair of prescription Ray-Bans now. Well, one, uh, one for your high car, one for your main car. 
Pretty much. Anyway, just wanted to get that off my chest that if you want to be in retail, be in optometry. Yeah, be an optometrist. I mm. cracked my uh, carbon fiber road bike. Your bike? Thankfully. Mm, gone. How did you crack that? Uh, Pounding the pavement too much, were you? Don't wish to disclose this on uh, on national TV. Um, yeah, any case. Replacement, new for old. Really? Oh, like under warranty? No, just uh, insurance. Oh, oh you've insurance. got your bike insured. Mm. What, through your home insurance? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. I guess if it's worth $7,000. <laughs> well, you can nominate items. Right, right. Yeah. But I still want it back. It's a good bike. Yeah, well, there you go. Anyway, thanks for hanging out, everyone. Oh, see this? I bought this on Amazon the other day. Oh, yeah? What is it? It's a laser. <laughs> it's a heat gun. I, I, I've always wanted a heat gun so I can... What are you doing with it? Well, you press the red laser on yeah. anywhere and it tells you the temperature. So the wall is 23.5 degrees. Oh, my God. What do you need that for? <laughs> I wanted it. My arm is 30.1 degrees. Oh, shit. I've heard this all. Wow. Anyway, it's just handy to have, right? <laughs> all right. My kids are going <laughs> to run through the door. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you everyone soon. I'm going to go and uh, measure some temperatures. <laughs> Upload the file today, straight away, All right. John. All right, All right nice knowing you. Yeah. We'll talk after I get back from Brisbane. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.